Blog Talk Radio. We all have inner work to do. Real life, real faith is an opportunity to connect with Cheryl and her guests as they take you on a journey to help you become your authentic self. Whether you need help goal setting, developing coping skills, or connecting with a power greater than yourself, Cheryl is here to walk with you on your path to personal transformation. Get inspired as Cheryl lets you become an active participant or just sit back and glean from the messages delivered. It's Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. Hello and welcome to Real Life, Real Faith. I am your host, Cheryl Lacey Donovan. And since the 2012 death of his son, Trayvon, in the violent confrontation, Tracy Martin has committed his life to transforming tragedy into change. Despite his devastating loss, Martin was able to channel his immeasurable heartache into the immense strength needed to elicit positive change. He now is fighting for the broad societal shift required to ensure that a similar incident never claims the life of another child. Martin's message of change extends to families from all walks of life. He encourages parents, relatives, caregivers, and teachers to let their sons, daughters, and other loved ones know that their lives are valuable and to stress that they are loved no matter how society views them. He also emphasizes the dangers of judging a person's character based solely on their appearance, as represented by his son's iconic hoodie sweatshirt. Although his son is gone, Martin hopes his tragic death helps to heal the country, acting as motivation for parents and caregivers to keep fighting for the safety of all children. Through his thought-provoking speeches, Martin helps foster the necessary conversations that can help keep every family safe from needless violence. By sharing his personal and powerful stories, Martin encourages diverse audiences from colleges and legal professionals to community and family organizations to become more educated on ways to keep their loved ones safe and empower themselves to become catalysts for social change. And tonight, Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan welcomes Trayvon Martin's father, Tracy Martin. And one of the things that um, is is really um, iconic, we know that um, this was, I think now going on four years, coming in February, that Trayvon was killed by George Zimmerman. And while that was the beginning of the whole hashtag uh, Black Lives Matter and the movement that we see now with regards to Black Lives Matter, it seems that since that time, it, it, there's rarely a, a moment where we turn on our television sets and don't see a young African-American man's life being taken way too soon. And, you know, not to overlook the fact that some of that happens in our own community, some of that are, is, are things that we commit against each other. I think the thing that is even more alarming is the fact that people who have sworn to protect and serve are now being seen doing the exact same thing, particularly with unarmed men, young African-American men. And, you know, in my humble opinion, I don't believe that this is something that recently started. I think that this is something that has been going on for some time now, but because of the fact that now everyone has a video camera, everyone has a camera, we see it better. We're able to capture the moment in time and actually show them over and over again for people to recognize and understand what I would say has been going on for quite some time. 
So it will be interesting to talk to Trayvon's father, Tracy Martin, to see um, where he thinks this particular movement needs to go to find out what the end game really is and to really develop a conversation about what we need to do as individuals to make this change happen. So we'll be back in just a moment on Real Life with Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan as we speak to Trayvon Martin's father, Tracy Martin, back in a moment. You don't usually get a stock tip from a 16-year-old, but I'm here to tell you about a different kind of stock. It's called Better Futures a stop for social change that's not about making money. Instead, you invest to help students like me go to college. This is beyond a simple donation. It's the opportunity for America to invest in its kids and take an active stake in the future of the country. The return on your investment isn't money. What you get back is knowing you protected our potential. So one day, that potential can grow up to become surgeons and architects executives and engineers, people who can change the future just by being a part of it. My name is Alicia, and I'm your dividend. Invest in better futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. A public service announcement brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Uh, Tracy Martin, thank you so much for joining us here on Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl A.C. Donovan. Hey, how are you, Ms. Donovan? How is everything? I am doing fine. Everything is going really well. How are you these days? I'm doing fine. Uh, just um, going into the new year, just uh, looking to uh, just make changes in and uh, our community, just looking to uplift uh, our young men and women. It's just looking for a great 2016. So here's one of the questions that I want to ask you. I know that um, the entire Black Lives Matter movement started shortly after what happened to Trayvon, and I, I, we see we see a lot of activity. But I wonder, in your mind, what what is the end game? What is the outcome? What is it that we are looking to actually change? I think uh, we we have to first we have to start within. Um, I, I know we we uh we we roll with the whole Black Lives Matter thing, um, and and recently uh, someone just started petition behind that saying that uh, if only Black Lives Matter to Black Life, um, mm-hmm. and and so I think it's, it starts with how we respect ourselves, how we look at ourselves. We have to make a change you know, within ourselves before we can change other people's mindset. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that right now we're at a state where there's a lack of uh, respect for life within our Mm -hmm. young people. Um, There's a lack of, there's a lack of uh, holiness in our young kids' lives. A lot of our young kids uh, really don't um, think about going to church. They don't, they're not, they're not spiritually active. So, uh, if you if you're not spiritually inclined, then that means you know you really don't know yourself. So I think that's where we have to start. We have to really um, get our kids to get back engaged with with uh, a, a spiritual being. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that's a huge point that you just made. I, we have really become very disconnected with our spirituality, and I think as a result of that, we we strayed away from 
some of the values and the morals that we were taught, you know, probably during the time when you and I were coming up, and and we don't see as much of that anymore, not to mention the fact that there aren't really a whole lot of elders these days to even teach that. Because, you know, back in the day, Big Mama was 60, 70 years old, maybe even 80 mm-hmm. years old, and Nana and those kind of people. And nowadays, those Nanas and Big Mamas are like, 30 and maybe 40, and really, you know, while they've had some experiences, they may not have had as many of the experiences as as some of those back in the day had had, and so it's difficult to really find anybody to teach those kinds of things these days. Yeah, and and that's that's, uh, one thing I think that by missing that that aspect, you know, by missing that whole little big mama and that nana um, cliche is like, that's when our children were prioritized, mm-hmm. um, and and having having that the, the grandmother and the great grandmother, and being able to go to their houses, you know, their house on Sunday and and eat dinner at the church, um, that really meant a lot. And as you said, that you know the that age difference, you know, is huge now because we have uh, we have a lot of teenage pregnancies uh, in our communities. And our children are, you know, we see our children in the club, the same club with their mom. And mm-hmm. that says a lot because, you know, if you go in the club and, you you know, you, you partying with your, you know, your, your kids, you know, something's gone wrong there. And so we have to really get back to prioritizing our children. And the best way, I think that the best way to keep our kids from being abused by predators, by being bullied, by using drugs, by becoming sexually active before they're ready, it's virtually, you know, you know, it's like every risk factor that we we can think of, you know, we just have to maintain a close relationship with them. A relationship with our children is huge, and mm-hmm. um, if we can't, if our if our children are afraid to talk to us, if they're afraid to open up to us, you know, we don't we don't have to be our kids' friends. But we have to be friendly to our children because, you know, our kids won't open up to you if they don't feel comfortable. So yeah. we have to start, yeah. we have to get back to having dialogues with our children. And, and, and I just, I just, you know, I just figure that um, life lessons just aren't being taught in our homes. You know, mm-hmm. it's no more dinner time, you know, it's, hey, go to McDonald's, you know, we don't have to sit down dinners no more, though. That that doesn't give us an opportunity to have that conversation. Hey, mom, how dad? How was your day? Hey, son, how doing? Mm-hmm. How was your day in school? So you know, all that plays a big part. Yeah, you know, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. We do a lot a lot of talking at them and not really a lot of talking to them. We don't we don't really dialogue with them or try to identify what they're thinking or why they're thinking what they're thinking. And in a lot of ways, I think they become very apathetic with regards to um, authority figures and people who have authority over them because they really don't uh, see a way to to connect with them and that whole community piece, you know, that the African proverb talks about it takes a village to raise a child. And nowadays there really is no true sense of village, no true sense of community like we had uh, in years past. Yeah. And, and, 
and one of the main reasons that you know we don't have that that's security of of having that village within the communities is because we have become so afraid of our children. Mm. We walk down the street in fear of our own children, and mm-hmm. we don't we don't allow our children. When I was growing up, uh, we stayed on the street and played football, and the street lights came on, and we raced to get home before that last street light came on on our corner. And a lot of our a lot of our neighborhoods just aren't you know, aren't friendly like that no anymore. You know, we mm-hmm. we had we have outlets like we had the boys club, boys and girls club, the YMCA, um, things of that nature. And those those programs at the parks that we used to have were, you know, they that played a big part in our lives and still have programs at the park but, you know, you you ask a parent, do you want to send your child to this park where you know there's you know, illegal activity going on and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, gang violence going on and, and things of that nature. So, you know, our children are, you know, our children have become hostages in our homes with PlayStation, Xbox, and things of that nature. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think it takes, uh, it takes, you know, us collectively to clean up our neighborhoods um, to get back out in the community. I just recently I just did a uh uh we did a neighborhood cleanup uh and it was a neighborhood that I wasn't affiliated with. Um but a few of my friends asked me to help would I go around and do a neighborhood cleanup with them. So I, I went out and did the neighborhood cleanup. Two minutes after we cleaned up, a bunch of young guys came and threw trash back in the same area we had just cleaned up not knowing that, you know, that was their spot where they, you know, did their legal uh, illegal activities. And, you know, out of respect that, you know, that's their own space. But out of respect for that, you know, we, you know, they felt as though we uh, sort of violated their space. Like we were going in there to throw away whatever they were hiding, but we were just trying to help the neighborhood uh, with mm-hmm. a better look. And so we had a dialogue, and we let them know that, you know, we're not crowding your space. We're just trying to help the neighborhood out with certain things because there's older, older, uh, older couples that live in the neighborhood, and, and we want the older couples to feel safe. They shouldn't have to be afraid to walk outside their homes and go to the mailbox or go to the corner store uh, mm-hmm. because the, the, pe- the kids that they're afraid of are – the grandkids or, you know, the grandkids are their neighbors or, you know, someone who they raised is their offspring. So they shouldn't have to be afraid to even go out their house just to check the mailbox or or get a package from FedEx or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it sounds like that was a really good effort, and I think that if we could replicate things like that more often and probably make, begin with a dialogue and even even take some of the stakeholders, in this case it sounds like some of those young men were some of the stakeholders, and somehow incorporate them into the process so that we can begin to build that community piece that we're missing right now. Because I, I know there was a time when, you know, a kid would get out of line and everybody on the street had the ability 
to, you know, get with that kid and tell him, you know, you better straighten up because, you know, your mama might be at work working two or three jobs. We got our eyes on you. We're watching you. And we're, we, the village or the community, are, are responsible as far as helping to make sure that you have a good outcome as far as helping to raise you. And, I, you know, it, it sounds like those are the kinds of things that we need to um, be thinking about as far as uh, trying to um, get back to that kind of, uh, of living as far as our neighborhood is concerned. Now, I, I know that um, things like the YMCA and the Boys and Girls Club and, and those different entities are generally funded through uh, funds that are given by the government, state government, local government, city governments, or, you know, federal government, however those things come about. But I wonder, you know, I know that I I saw this somewhere before. Um, Do you think that our government is doing enough to address the violence against people of color? I don't. I don't. And and when we speak about uh, violence against people of color, you know, you you have to, it's not just physical violence that we're dealing with mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because we're we're dealing with poverty at, at an all-time high in black communities. Um, and, and funds are being, you're right, the government, they fund a lot of the YMCAs, a lot of the Boys and Girls Club. Um, they fund these things, but some for some reason, when it comes to funding, in urban communities, funds get uh, misappropriately used mm-hmm. uh, some kind of way, and and the program just just vanishes. Um, mm-hmm. So that right there is just that's brutal to us alone. You know how how you know it, and it goes to uh, you know I'm I'm just, I'm big on I like looking at statistics. And uh, you can look and and you can take ten white uh, neighborhoods and ten black neighborhoods, and you can do the numbers. You look at mm-hmm. the, look at uh, the stores that are in African American communities as opposed mm-hmm. to the stores that are in uh, middle to upper class white communities. Um, the, the grocery stores, just take for instance the grocery stores that are in African American communities. You have all these piggly wigglies um, and, and stores of that magnitude where you go mm-hmm. to the other neighborhoods and you have uh, the Whole Foods and stores stores of that nature where, mm-hmm. you know, it, and you say, well, what's the, what's the compare and contrast? And the compare and contrast is the Aldi's, you know, you probably go on the same a lot. You probably go in there. And you will buy a can of string beans for forty two cents, where maybe in Publix or Whole Foods they probably cost a dollar and five cents. And you say, "Well, I'm going to buy the forty two cent can," but you have to look at the nutrition facts on the back of that can, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and and we have to be conscious about how we eat. So you know, the the more conscious, the more the more nutrients that you put in your body, the more conscious that we eat the easier, you know, it helps our brain. It helps us how we function, you know. And we have this, we have like, we have, uh, um, we have like, I don't want to say, 
I'm going to get my word right. I don't. We have a, a problem in our communities with adjusting or adapting to um, sort of sort of like. Uh, man, I lost my word. But we have a problem in our community when you say that, hey, these, you know, this is this we're dealing with borderline uh, mental health issues. And, mm-hmm. You know, when you're not getting when you're not getting proper nutrition, and you're not, you know, you're not living in the best conditions, and you know, you you settling for anything, you know that 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 affects us. That affects our community. So, well, and you, that you know, I'm, I'm listening to you say that, and you know what it makes me think about? It makes me think about right mm-hmm. now in Flint, where they're having that issue with their exactly. water. And that's a, that's exactly. a governmental thing. That's a, and these people knew that was going on, and and in a lot of different communities where this stuff is happening, and the people, well, I don't want to say that the people don't have control. I think the people don't necessarily know how to take control because there's really yeah. you know. Here's an example. When I think back to the civil rights movement in the past, they were very organized, so much so that they had the freedom school. They had come out and teach them what to say, when to say it, how to say it. They also had a cadre of uh, uh, lawyers and, and, and people that could go and sue. Okay, if you don't want to do what we're asking you to do, well, then we'll sue you. Whether they want or not wasn't the point. The point was if we mm-hmm. sue you, we're going to tie you up enough and tie your monies up enough that eventually you're going to do what we ask we'll you just because you want to make us go away and not deal with us anymore. And exactly. I think that those are some of the pieces that maybe uh, maybe we're also lacking uh, because a lot of people just really don't know how to fight this battle. And in saying that, I wonder, I know that you mentioned the fact once before that the justice system didn't work for you and that it's broken. And I was curious to know whether or not you have any insight as to what needs to happen to fix it. You know, the justice system, the, the things that are going on in the government, is there anything in particular that you can pinpoint or is it just a lot of stuff that we just really need to start looking at? Uh, that's a lot of stuff that we can we need to start looking at, but the, one of the main focal points that we need to focus on is we have to get out and vote. We can't, yeah. we can't sit back. We can't sit back and complain about the issues that are that are impacting our lives, and we don't go out and vote. I, voting just doesn't start with the presidential election. Voting mm. starts. I mean. We need to, we need to vote for our, our, our school superintendents, our city councilmen, our aldermen. We need to vote for our PTA presidents, things of that nature, because that impact things like that impact our lives. And mm-hmm. you know when we want when we want to make decisions on the local level, um, we don't have a, we don't have nobody in power to do it because we don't back we don't back the people that that are. Right for the job, we back we we generally back the people that sell us a good song and dance. Um, mm-hmm. But the justice system, the justice system starts on the local level, and, and we just uh, we need to get educated on on uh, the justice system. There's a narrative out there, and we need we need to we need to change that narrative. We you know we need to mm-hmm. shift we need to shift you know the, the, our train of thought. Um, 
and we we education is the key. We have to get educated. Uh, we have te- we have the same technology as everybody else. We go into our public schools. Our technology is probably a year behind, but we still have the same technology. Um, we mm-hmm. probably don't have, you know, we probably don't have the Apple computers or the the Mac uh, PCs sitting at our desk, but we do have PCs sitting at our desk where we can still get, you know, get acclimated with the system, the system of the day. In the state of Florida, we have uh, a test that uh, kids have to pass. If I'm not mistaken, it's the, uh, the third graders, the sixth graders, the ninth graders, and maybe the, the, the tenth or eleventh graders. It's called the FCAT. Um, they have to mm-hmm. pass this test before proceeding uh, to the next grade. And it is one of the, uh, I just think it was, this is uh, a step back in the educational uh, process because there are kids that are ready to graduate from high school that didn't pass the test and they couldn't graduate because they didn't, this one particular test that they didn't pass. And they may have they may have been a three point one uh GPA student throughout the year. But because of failing this one particular test, they can't graduate, so that sets our children back. Uh, and mm-hmm. we're not pro- our kids are not properly prepared, um, because you're asking and, and, and it's sad. I was just looking uh, I was on social media, just scrolling through a timeline. And and you're starting to see every day our, our middle school and our high school students terrorizing teachers. Mm-hmm. So how you how do we expect to get educated if we're terrorizing the teachers? Teachers are too afraid to teach now, mm-hmm. and it's it's getting out of hand. And 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 you know, it's, what do we do? And and you know, it's like when we get arrested, when our children get arrested. For brutalizing the teacher, you know, we, we get up in arms. But look what this child is doing to a teacher. Yeah. If you if you, if yeah. you if you're not going to school to learn and so and that one child can be a distraction to the whole class. And and so we just have to learn we just have to learn how to stop being a distraction, how to stop being uh a problem and be a part of the solution. You know, we have that. Uh, we have something very similar to that here in Texas. Is I don't. I'm not even sure what it's called now. The text test, tax test, whatever it is. And and I agree with that. It's, it's crazy to me how a child can go through an entire year of school and have a very good GPA and then get, take this test, and all of a sudden they don't allow them to pass. I think it's just one more thing that is it has been created to be an obstacle in the path of our children. Not to mention the fact that I still uh, reject the idea that you can standardize anybody's training. You know, there are people who come here and uh, can build houses, and in order to build a house, you have to know what a right angle is and what a 45-degree angle is and things like that. But if you tried to give that to them on paper, they probably wouldn't be able to pass it, but it has nothing to do with their ability to, uh, to perform. 
or has nothing to do with their their level of knowledge. They just might not be able to express that knowledge in the way that you want them to. So when you start talking about standardizing something like that, I, I take exception to it because I know some very, very smart people that when it comes to test taking, they might not do quite as well. So, again, I, I just think that it's something that they've placed as a barrier to minority children in particular um, as a way to keep them from perhaps getting into some of the schools that they may want to get into and things like that. So we, you're right. We need to educate ourselves, um, even on the voting process, um, telling people to get out and vote is great, but if they don't know when to vote, that's a totally uh, a whole horse of a different color because, like you said, voting does not begin just with the presidential election. It, it also includes our midterm elections and our local elections for things like mayor and judges. You know, you get mad because a lot of people of color go to jail, but um, then at the same time, you you don't go out and vote for judges who might have your best interest at heart. Um, and even mm-hmm. even as far down as to the entire jury process, you don't mm-hmm. even want to. I, I can't tell you the number of times that I've spoken to uh, people of color that have been asked to be on jury duty, the ones that still can do jury duty, and they're looking for every way that they can possibly find to get out of it. But then you're angry when only people like you are the ones that are going to jail. Well, if a group of their peers is not in that box, what do you think they're going to do? That's true. And and um, a, a part of that being having, you know, knowing your rights and being able to vote, uh, we experience. Uh, we experienced that firsthand um, going through our trial, going through jury selection. Uh, we were in Seminole County, Florida, um, and I want to say about 97% of the prospective jurors were white. And mm-hmm. and, and and I just sat and, 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 and it was sad because, you know, uh, I know that there are people eligible to vote uh, or eligible to be on jurors, but when they get the summons to come to court, um, until it affects their home or until it affects someone they know, they really we really don't care about it. Uh, we'll get mm-hmm. a jury, we'll get a summons, and we'll go to we'll we'll go to the to the uh, hearing to see if we're going to be on the jury pool or whatever, and. You know, we find ten different reasons not to be elected to get on that jury pool. When we can mm-hmm. make decisions, we're able. I, I strongly feel that um, had we had uh, an, even two, even two African Americans on that jury, that we would have got a conviction. Um, mm-hmm. and, and even the young lady that. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, she was of Puerto Rican descent. Even the young lady that was on the jury pool, she was the only uh, non-white uh, juror that was selected. She had she had even came on TV uh, and personally said that she was uncomfortable with the other juror members, um, and they made her feel like she was like she was scum of the earth. They they picked that. You know, they taunted her about her uh, about her dialect, how she talked, um, how her accent was, um, and and 
that's sad. So, you know, mm-hmm. once she came out and said that, you know, we knew, you know, it's like, you know, how do you have a chance? This jury, this jury is supposed to be sequestered. They were supposed to be off to themselves. And, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was reports that they were hanging at the bowling alley with their families. And, you know, so it was all kind of, it was all kind of things that was implicated. Uh, and, and it just makes you think that, you know, had we, if only we registered a vote, if only mm-hmm. we, we step up and do our civic duty. It's our civic duty to be able to be on these jurors. And, you know, people's lives are in your hands. People, you know, your people's livelihoods are in our hands. And, we're, you know, we can we can be there to assist people um, the right way, and we don't. We refuse yeah. to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that that's so true, and it's really, really very sad. Listen, we're speaking with uh, Tracy Martin, who is the father of Trayvon Martin. We're coming up on uh, the fourth year since Trayvon was killed at the hands of George Zimmerman. And, Tracy, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, I know that very early on it was difficult for you to forgive. You said that you are a Christian and that you know that as a Christian you are supposed to forgive and you have to forgive him, but that it would take time. Here we are four years coming up later. Um, have you gotten there yet or are you still working on it? Uh, honestly, I just don't think I've gotten there yet. And the reason yeah. I haven't gotten to that point yet, I'm, because I, I know for a fact that this man uh, intentionally and willfully uh, took my son's life away from him. Uh, mm-hmm. And and we can see the pattern that he's going on, the things that he's been doing. Um, yeah. And he's just made, he made a mockery out of the Florida judicial system. Uh, and then, so I haven't really gotten to that point yet where I can say, you know, that I, I can forgive this man for taking my son's life. And and when when you lose a when you lose a child's life, it's just it's a bitter feeling inside of you. Mm-hmm. And and I know that as Christians, you know, you have to you have to forgive and forget, but I just haven't gotten to that point in my life. I'm not the best Christian mm-hmm. in the world, but I am God I'm a God fearing man. And mm-hmm. it does you know, God doesn't say that, you know, you have to forgive at this particular point. There's no timetable on when my healing mm-hmm. begins and ends. There's no time, you know, no timetable set set aside for me to forgive this individual. Uh, am I bitter? Yes. Am I mad? Yes, because something was taken away from me that I treasured. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and and life is priceless. Life is priceless, and we see, you know, we see this. Every day, there are thousands of kids being taken away from their parents every year, um, and and my heart just every day my heart just goes out to a different parent. My heart goes out to yeah. a different neighborhood because I know what they're going through. I know what they're feeling. I know how their emotions are running. I know, you know, the the, the ill feeling that's inside of them. I know those feelings, yeah. and, and just you know, this it's, time will will heal all wounds. But I just think that you know uh, that in due time, I'll come to a place where I'm at peace. Mm-hmm. But that time just isn't right now. 
Yeah. And you know what? I will continue to be praying for you and Sabrina in that area because I know that that has to be extremely difficult. I have two sons of my own, and I just I do not know um, how I would feel or where I would be at this point. And I'm like you. I'm, I'm a God-fearing woman, and I, I know who God is, and I know what he says for us to do. But that's a hard pill to swallow. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely will be praying for both of you in that area. Um, so as we, we come to the end of the uh, interview tonight, I know that, again, Black Lives Matter is a hashtag, a movement that sort of started with um, what happened to Trayvon. And, you know, I've been asking this of uh, different people who have talked about the movement and say that they're a part of the movement. You know, and I see all the protests, and my question is this, what – what are the protests for? What what would be our parameters for success? What is it that we really want to see happen with regard to uh, this entire Black Lives Matter movement, in your mind, in your opinion? I think we want to see equality and justice for all. I think we want to we want to be put on the same measuring stick as other uh, nationalities. I think we want to be looked at as 100% human and not one-third of the human as we were uh, as we were labeled uh, back in the slave days. I think, I think mm-hmm. all of that plays a part in this. I think that, you know, we want to be able to own our own businesses in our own homes. I think we, are the, we, we want the same education as for our children as other uh, ethnicity groups have. I think, you know, we just, we want we want to be able to walk down the street uh, and 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 not be profiled, not be uh, hunted down, and not be killed. I think we want to be able to be on the side of the road when our vehicle broke down and not be suspicious and get killed. You know, I mm-hmm. think we want to be able to be the Eric Garner that uh, was not uh, breaking up a fight and not getting choked to death. You know, these are the things we want. We want to we want we want to be as treated as equal as everyone else. Um mm-hmm. so I think, you know, personally I think that the marches and the protests need to continue. You know, um, mm-hmm. because it raises it raises awareness. It raises mm-hmm. awareness. I just think that uh that people are not, you know, they have no interest in educating themselves on how we live, how our mindset is. Every every young black man isn't hostile. Every young black woman isn't hostile, you know. And and that's the that's that's the mindset, you know. They think that uh, a lot of people honestly think that when they come into a confrontation with with our young brothers and sisters, that you know they they have to come into the confrontation with their their hand on the firearm, and that they and that only escalates the situation. And I just yeah. think that uh we want. We want uh, those, and there's not every police, but we want those police out there that uh, think that have the the, the shoot first mentality as African Americans. Um, we want them. We want to change their mindset. So mm-hmm. you know, the, the whole Black Lives thing matters. It, it, it is is here. It's you know, and it's it's a powerful statement. And we want to we want to take that statement and we want to change. Like I said, we want to change the narrative. We want to, you know, we need to change that shift that paradigm. We don't 
Mm-hmm. We don't need that pattern, you know, on our lives. We shouldn't be afraid mm-hmm. to, to, you know, go outside and take a jog at 2 o'clock in the morning and think, you know, when you see the police coming up, you know, we shouldn't, you know, first thing he said, put your hands up where you're coming from. I'm on a jog. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm exercising. So, you know, we, we, it's just a mindset. Every black man in the hoodie isn't out doing, you know, bad things. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you said something very powerful. Um, when you talk about changing the narrative, that's one of the things that uh, real life, real faith is all about doing. Is changing that narrative. In fact, um, my partner and I have been speaking with uh, Stephanie about what we can do here in real life, real faith, with the foundation. How we can connect with you all to continue to spread the word and to help change the narrative. And um, as I'm listening to some of the things that you're saying that we want, I, I am compelled to find to. Um, uh, dialogue about how much of that is is going to be required of us by us, you know, because some of those things, starting businesses and and what have you, is going to probably have to come from within. We have to sometimes stop looking at uh, other people to help us make that happen and really get together and connect and bond with one another and create some of these things that we want to see because we we should know by now that the likelihood of getting help from the outside is probably going to be very slim. So I hope that as we're changing this narrative and, and creating this dialogue and shifting the paradigm, that part of that shift is going to be our coming together and pooling our resources and keeping our dollars and recirculating our, our dollars in our own communities so that um, we don't have to rely on others to things happen in our communities, and also with the piece that you spoke to with regards to some of the the um, officers out of there out there who we consider to be bad officers, I also changed the mindset and the change challenge the mindset changing of those who say that they are quote unquote good officers because in my mind, mm-hmm. if you are a good officer, then you should be um, challenging the ones who are considered to be bad officers and calling them to the carpet when you see them doing things that are wrong because that if you're good, like you say, then that your conscience should not allow you to want to see it so or to want to participate in it. So I think those are some additional things that we can look at doing in order to um, – in order to uh, change the narrative, as you say, and shift that paradigm. So, Tracy, the last question that I want to ask you is this, and I ask this of all of our uh, uh, callers or all of our guests that come on the broadcast. What will Tracy Martin's legacy be? I think my legacy will be, um, you know, a a father who cared, uh, who spoke out for his son, who spoke up for his son, um, and and I spoke out and spoke up for my son um, before his tragic death, um, and I just want to be known as that person that helped communities come together, that helped fathers get back into their children's lives, that helped fathers understand that they are the head of the household. The household doesn't run properly unless that fathers engage those children with the mom. Um, I think I want to be known as the father that was, that galvanized co-parenting when you're separated um, because that's a big part of uh, 
one of the issues in our communities when we when we uh, separate from our mate and there's children involved, nine times out of ten, that father kind of strays away from his relationship with his child. Um, and and that doesn't hurt the father or the mother. It hurts the child because the child has a different mindset now. And the child grows up to be angry and to have a lot of uh, frustration and bitter built up towards the father. So I think galvanizing uh, or rebuilding rebuilding that, uh, that foundation, that family, that father structure, I think I want to be known for uh, a person who helped us realize that fatherhood is just as important as motherhood and, you know, to be on to, to for our children to be successful, we have to we have to be in conjunction with one another. We have to work together. Nobody said that, you know, I mean after you break up, no one said that uh you, you have to be the best of friends, but your child should know that uh you and your your significant other ex are the worst of enemies. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that that's one of my missions right there, um, is, is to try to educate and advocate against senseless violence and to just help our families become families again. Mm-hmm. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us tonight on Real Life Real Face with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. As I said earlier, I will be in continued prayer for you and for Sabrina Martin and um, whatever we Real Life Real Face can do with the foundation to help you all to spread the word, to um, create dialogue, to set up summits, whatever we can do. I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like, but whatever we can do, know that we are more than willing to help so that we can change our communities. And I believe it, it starts with one person at a time. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, Ms. Donovan. Absolutely. Everybody, that was Tracy Martin, the father of Trayvon Martin, who coming up in about a month or so will have been dead four years at the hands of George Zimmerman. And he's talking about what we talk about here all the time on Real Life, Real Faith, and that is changing the narrative, uh, being the change that we want to see, creating change from the inside out and shifting the paradigm. And we pray that each of you will do whatever you can in order to make that happen so that the lives of these young men will not have been taken in vain. Uh, We look forward to speaking with you again here on Tuesday at 7 p.m. on Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. And uh, we want to remind you that you can connect with us on Facebook at Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan on Twitter at Real Faith Mag, and make sure that you get out there and take a look at uh, the issue that Tracy Martin is in of Real Life, Real Faith, Men of Faith Magazine. It is circulating as we speak on all of the social media platforms. And as always, we want to remind you that God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or think according to the power that worketh in you. Be blessed.